0: Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a passage that over the years has been to me a source of strength and a source of comfort in dark times, and I cannot be the only one who reads these words and finds them resonating in their own heart from their own experiences. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 let's start with verse 8 We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed We are perplexed but not in despair Persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things Or for your sakes. That grace. Having spread through the many. May cause thanksgiving to abound. To the glory of God. And then. Pay special attention to verse 16. Therefore. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man. Is perishing. Yet the inward man. How many of you here think your afflictions, you classify them as light and momentary? Mine don't seem that way. I don't struggle with acknowledging the temporary nature of them as much as I struggle with acknowledging the light nature of them. It's the light part I struggle with. This passage... These verses have over the years been a source of comfort when I find myself perplexed, which is a fairly common state of mind for me. I'm often perplexed or exasperated. The source of the perplexing times and the exasperating times could just be what the Puritans called the common miseries of this life, the things everybody deals with, everybody, every human being on this earth. But they can also be caused by this spiritual war that we as Christians are constantly engaged in, and that's not something that is common to everyone on planet earth. We have a special set of circumstances, we're dealing with as we war against the world the flesh and the devil and it is a war and I've, I've found in my own experience that it is so easy to forget that the storm has a bit in its mouth Spurgeon said that it was a Spurgeon quote the storm has a bit in its mouth we forget that I forget that. I I acknowledge the temporary part for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. That's verse 17. That part I get because as I get older, I see more and more that this life, it is but for a moment. What did the book of James tell us? Our lives are like a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. I think it's probably in God's providence as he brings us through life and he brings us through trials that it is probably very common for people to come to grasp with the temporary nature of this life the older that they get as a child i thought i had an eternity in front of me of life on this earth not an eternity but an exceedingly long time i thought of life that way when i was 10 years old to me a decade seemed like a lifetime because it was a lifetime and it's our perspective of time that changes. When you're 10, a decade is your whole lifetime. When you're a half century, when you hit that mark, what is a decade? I've come to the point in my life where the decades fly by like years. They just click by. The decades do that. And I, I have come to grips with the temporary nature of this life. We're only here for a little while. I had a roommate at PCC 28 years ago and he had this catchphrase he used all the time and it stuck in my mind. I still think of it. He used to say, in 10 years, what difference will it make? He would say that regardless of what trials or tribulations he was going through, he would use it to reflect on his own problems. And if someone was bemoaning their fate to him he would listen patiently and at the end of the sad sob story that was being told he would say yeah but in 10 years what difference will it make i was on the receiving end of that statement more than once and i thought never one time was i asked that question and i could say no this this actually will be a big deal in 10 years Life is just momentary. But the afflictions, while we acknowledge their momentary nature, it is very hard to acknowledge that they're anything resembling light. When I'm going through trials and tribulations, I feel overwhelmed. In the Greek, the word thalipsis might not be pronouncing that right i'm not a greek scholar it's translated affliction in this passage in verse 17 but elsewhere it is translated tribulation anguish persecution and trouble the same greek word the root word is the word for pressure don't the trials of our life just bear down on us with pressure that's what it feels like none of these things are pleasant the trials tribulations anguish persecution trouble that we go through and we're all familiar with them as we travel through this veil of tears as the Puritans called it I'm going to confess to you that at one time I bought into the popular notion that the Puritans were a bunch of sad sacks. Joyless souls who walked around with downcast, downcast faces and dejected hearts. That's, that's a stereotype of the Puritans. It's not accurate. The Puritans were serious-minded people. That they were. And serious-minded people are not highly esteemed in an age of frivolity. We Christians living in the 21st century would do well to reconsider the serious manner in which the Puritans approached life. They were serious people. And saying that I am not saying that you should go through life constantly downcast. We should we should have joy in our hearts. And there's a balance to to the pleasures that God has blessed us with. Even the, the simple pleasures like a good meal and taking joy in it and thanking God for this excellent food that's been prepared by a loving wife who loves you despite all your flaws. Another source of blessing. Using my own personal experience as an example. The beauty of nature, which has always resonated with me even since I was a child. These Pleasures that God gives us, they're gifts. And we, we should take pleasure in them and we should thank God for them. But at the same time, our approach to life should be serious. What I found about Puritans is that they were hopeful people. And we should be hopeful people. John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress probably as well as any other book in existence, reveals the Puritan mindset. John Piper wrote an introduction to the Pilgrim's Progress that includes the following words. The fragrance of affliction was on most of what John Bunyan wrote. In fact, I suspect that one of the reasons the Puritans are still being read today with so much profit Is that their entire experience, unlike ours, was one of persecution and suffering. To our chipper age, at least in the prosperous West, this may seem somber at times. But the day you hear that you have cancer, or that your child is blind, or that a mob is coming, You turn away from the chipper books to the weighty ones that were written on the precipice of eternity where the fragrance of heaven and the stench of hell are both in the air. That's a concise summary of the Puritan mindset. Those words Talking about books that were written on the precipice of eternity, where the fragrance of heaven and the stench of hell are both in the air. We are living our lives on the precipice of eternity. None of us know, none of us know that we have tomorrow. It's so easy to take for granted. I do it all the time. What does the book of James tell us? It's foolish to say, tomorrow I'll go into such and such a city and I'll buy and sell and get gain. What you should say is, if the Lord wills, I'll, I'll go into such and such a city and buy and sell and get gain. There's no guarantees. Pastor John has often pointed out from this very pulpit that even among people who project an image of having it all together, I'm not into social media, but I'm aware of it. I know that you can create an image on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. You show people the parts of your life that you're proud of and that you want everybody to see. And you make sure not to disclose anything that would reflect negatively on you or or make it look like you were struggling or having some trouble. There's a lot of editing going on with people's lives in social media. But, Pastor John has pointed out that one doesn't have to scratch very far below the surface to find that even among people who have a no-weeds-in-my-garden philosophy of life or the best-life-now crowd, those people are afflicted by trials and tribulations as well. The big five. I've heard Pastor John run through this list. Health problems, marriage problems, money problems, family problems, spiritual problems. It is a rare person, indeed, who isn't dealing with at least one item on that list of woes. And often several. But of course people don't like to reveal that. And people don't like to share that. And even among Christians. I think we're hesitant. To let our guard down. And say to to a fellow believer. In a moment of candor and honesty. Pray for me. I'm struggling. I've got problems. I mean, we all have problems. But to name something specifically that you're struggling with, it's a rare thing. It, 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 takes, it, it takes a measure of trust that we often don't have with each other. I've talked to the pastor about this idea of the loss of community, in the Christian church in the 21st century. It's not any one thing. A lot of people blame it on social media. It's more than just that. But there is a loss of of interaction on a personal level among fellow Christians that hurts us when it's time for us to ask for encouragement, for us to, time for us to acknowledge our, our weaknesses to each other, our struggles with each other. and It's, it's, it's been commented on numerous times by numerous Christians, writers, preachers, seminarians, it's part of our culture. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I grew up listening to him being called the Prince of Preachers. I find it interesting that it was never it was never mentioned that he had some ideas on the sovereignty of God that didn't line up with the free will theology that I was being taught and it was a great surprise to me to read Spurgeon's book little booklet Free Will a Slave that Pastor John gave to me 20 years ago Free Will a Slave by Charles Haddon Spurgeon that turned my notions of who Spurgeon was on its head he's got a quote fits in perfectly with this. Mark, then, Christian, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross, not that you may escape it, but that you may endure it. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember that and expect to suffer. Those are hard words, especially the last sentence. Remember that and expect to suffer. I don't like suffering. Neither do you. But it's what's going to happen. A long-deceased country songwriter, I like old country music, named Towns Van Zant. big hit song was Poncho and Lefty, it was a hit in the late 70s. He wrote that song, wrote a bunch of songs. He was giving an interview in the 1980s, and he was asked during the interview, how come most of your songs are sad songs? Towns replied well i don't think they're all that sad i have a few that aren't sad they're hopeless they're about a totally hopeless situation and the rest aren't sad they're just the way it goes i mean you know you don't think life's sad and the interviewer quickly changed the subject People don't like talking about the reality of the sadness of life. It's a a downer. But there is a lot of sadness in this life. And the culture we live in promotes escapism or putting on a happy face, pretending nothing's wrong, or a fake it till you make it, Mentality to avoid having to deal with the reality of the, of the sadness, of the grief, of the perplexing nature of our existence. But I, I can't help but conclude that we as Christians should of all people be equipped to, to face the unpleasant truths and the harsh realities of, of life. we have been told what it's going to be like do you think the apostle paul knew anything of sad and trying times did he know what he was talking about when he said, talked about for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory well if you look at go to chapter 11 of second corinthians and you look at verse 24 through 28, he gives a list of things that he has gone through. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, In cold and nakedness. Besides the other things. What comes upon me daily. My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation. You know this list of things. I don't think any of us have ever been shipwrecked. Or beaten with rods, or received uh, a stoning, a whipping, perils of robbers. (sighs) I'm looking at the list weariness and toil that's the first thing that i get to and i'm like well i know what that's like i was running through the list and saying do i know what that nope i've never been there done that never been there done that then i get to verse 27 in weariness and toil oh i get that that i've experienced in sleeplessness often oh i get that sleeplessness <laughs> that'll work on you Insomnia will work on you. I I have it sporadically. My parents, both of my parents, dealt with it every night of their lives from like middle age onward. Sleeplessness was just their, their lot in life. Hunger and thirst. I haven't really been there. Who among us has gone for more than... 24 ish hours without a meal unless you were fasting I've never made it more than 24 hours ever you get really hungry in 24 hours but that's a day people do that all the time deep concern for the churches I understand that I understand being deeply concerned about people. People you love and you you can't fix them. Broken people. We all know broken people. We're probably all related to broken people. So did Paul know what he was talking about? Yeah. And then I thought... Some other people that knew about trials, tribulations, anguish, afflictions. Jeremiah, you've heard him called the weeping prophet. Can you imagine being sent to people, your people, your tribe, your your countrymen, and being told by God, you're going to tell them, The words that I lay upon your heart, and they won't listen to you. But you're going to tell them anyway. I had to break his heart. Read the book of Lamentations. Did King David know anything of affliction? There is a passage in Psalm 51 8. It's like I can't wrap my mind around it. I've turned it over and turned it over in my mind. This phrase, Let the bones you have broken rejoice. That's hard for me to to reconcile in my mind. Speaking to God, David says, Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Did Job know anything about afflictions? I'm saving the best for last. Did Christ know anything about afflictions? The probably the most familiar passage to me growing up from the Old Testament was Isaiah chapter 53. There was a time when I had, when I was younger, I had this chapter. It's only 12 verses. I had it memorized. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no former comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah was prophesying about the coming Messiah, looking ahead. And then if you go to the book of Hebrews, Paul is looking back to Christ's life. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need That is another verse that has brought me great comfort. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Have you ever thought to yourself, if, for instance, you're tired, physically tired, night of sleeplessness, and have you ever thought to yourself, Christ knew what this was like. He felt that. He felt fatigue. He felt weariness. How could God feel these things? I used to struggle with that concept. How could God struggle with fatigue or weariness? It's a mystery. But Christ on himself the form of a servant and when he was here on this earth as a man he felt sadness grief exasperation thinking specifically of when Philip said to him show us the father and it will suffice and you can sense the exasperation in Christ's voice when he says have i been with you so long and you don't you don't know me philip he felt these things and yet at the same time maintained his godhood it is a mystery hebrews 12:3 another reminder about what christ went through And how he can sympathize with us. For consider him. This is Christ. Who endured such hostility. From sinners against himself. Lest you become weary. And discouraged in your souls. I'll tell you something about weariness. And discouragement. Those are things I know about. I'm not the only one here who knows about those things. A man named John Flavel wrote an exposition of the Westminster Assembly's Shorter Catechism. And speaking of God's goodness, he asked this question. It's question six in his exposition. In what acts... Hath God first manifested his goodness? Oh, I said verse, I said it was verse, question six, but it's not. It's question eight, I'm sorry. Question eight. But are not the judgments of God on the wicked and his afflictions on the saints impeachments of his goodness? It's an interesting question. The answer, no. It is the property of goodness to hate and punish evil in the impenitent. Exodus 34, 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, etc. And the afflictions of the saints flow from His goodness. And end in their true and eternal good. Hebrews twelve six for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Psalm one nineteen seventy one. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Wow, it's hard. It's some hard truth. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. I have never, in the, in the midst of the affliction, I have never thought to myself, this is good for me. I know in my head that it must be. Because I believe that Romans 8.28, when it says all things work together for good, I believe it means all things are going to work together for good. But when I'm struggling in the midst of a, of a trial... I don't think, oh this that's okay. This is this is gonna be this is gonna work for my good. It's okay. I don't think that ever. In the midst of afflictions, I find myself often not even knowing what to do. And I have some company in that. That would be Second Chronicles chapter twenty verses 5 through 12. I have never been beset on all sides by enemies as Jehoshaphat was in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 through 12. He found himself beset on all sides by Moabites and Ammonites who came to battle against him. In verse 4, scripture tells us so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And just digress for a moment. Isn't it true that when you are beset on all sides, that that's the time, more than any other, that you earnestly seek the Lord? I really need help, Lord. I mean, I really, I'm in. I'm in a fix. Please help me. Talk about earnest praying. Some of the most earnest praying we will ever do as Christians. Lord, deliver me from this. Verse 5 Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of all the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it. And have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If a disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. That's humility. Lord God, I do not know what to do. But my eyes are upon you. I trust you. I beseech you. Help me. There was a book written by a Holocaust survivor. Survivor. I might be mispronouncing his name. Eli Weisel. It might be Weisel. Night is the book. And in the book, he asks the question, where is God now? There's a man who's going through the Holocaust. I'll tell you where God is, where God was, where God will be through the Holocaust, through every despicable act that we, the human race, have perpetrated. He rules and he reigns. He is a sovereign God in control of every single thing that happens. There is not a stray molecule, as the saying goes, that is out of order. And God will get the glory from every event that has ever transpired in human history, as hard as that is for me to wrap my mind around. It's difficult for me to comprehend that, but I know it's true. A naval war story had a character who made a strong impression on me 20 years ago. This grizzled old sailor. And in the age of sail, sailors would commonly do this they would have tattooed hold fast tattooed on their knuckles as a reminder to them as a reminder to their shipmates to not let the rope go. During ship to ship combat this character would show his knuckles to his fellow sailors hold fast. I want to be and encouragement like that grizzled old sailor encouraging my fellow believers hold fast don't give up remember to trust in God he truly is sovereign there's a hymn in our hymn books that I knew nothing of until I came to this church 20 years ago we didn't sing it in Baptist world growing up, probably because it was a Lutheran helm. The third and fourth verses, especially, speak to me in a profound way. The helm is, Be Still My Soul. Verse three and four. Be still my soul. When dearest friends depart. Whew. all is darkened in the veil of tears then you will better know his love his heart who comes to soothe your sorrows and your fears be still my soul your Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away verse 4 is even more profound be still my soul the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord when disappointment, grief and fear are gone sorrow forgot love's purest joy is restored be still my soul when change and tears are past all safe And blessed we shall meet at last. And those words call to my mind Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, which talk about verses that are a comfort and an encouragement. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. (sighs) That passage has been a tremendous help to me over the years, through some pretty dark times. Christian, I exhort you, as the Apostle Paul did in Hebrews 10 23 and 24, to hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. I leave you with some encouraging words from John Newton written upon his reflection of Christian's travails in the pilgrim's progress. If you are indeed asking the way to Zion with your face thitherward, I bid you good speed. Behold, an open door is set before you, which none can shut, yet prepare to endure hardship, for the way lies through many tribulations. There are hills and valleys to be passed. Lions and dragons to be met with. But the Lord of the hill will guide and guard his people. Put on the whole armor of God. Fight the good fight of faith. Beware of the flatterer. Beware of the enchanted ground. See the land of Beulah. Yea, the city of Jerusalem itself is before you. There, Jesus, the forerunner, waits to welcome travelers home. (laughs) Wow. To welcome travelers home. Oh, man. This life, we stumble along and we get this brief amount of time Here, and the whole purpose of it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And how often do we fail in that directive? The one thing that gives our lives meaning glorifying God and enjoy Him forever. And before we know it, this life will be over. And there, Jesus, the forerunner, waits welcome travelers home. I, for one, am looking forward to that. Very much so. My dad spent 15 years preparing to meet the Lord. Got a cancer diagnosis. It was terminal from from day one. He spent 15 years preparing to meet the Lord. Every day, preparing to meet God. And who among us Would live our lives exactly the same if we went to the doctor and got the bad news and we would get up tomorrow and just live our lives the way we're going to. Just another Monday and another Tuesday and another Wednesday. My dad spent 15 years chasing after God, knowing soon I'm going to stand in his presence. We should be living our lives chasing after God, knowing that soon we will be standing in His presence. And it's so easy to forget. I encourage you. Hold fast. Remember that your life is but a vapor. Remember that your your whole existence... That the only meaning in your existence can be found in glorifying God and enjoying him forever, the chief end of man. May God be pleased with this word of exhortation. I truly hope that I have encouraged you tonight. It was not my desire to to get any of you down or to sadden you. I wanted to lift your spirits. I wanted to encourage you in the Lord. I wanted to exhort you to hold fast. I hope that I've done so. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time. I pray that my words will have been a source of encouragement and exhortation to my fellow believers. I ask for the strength and wisdom that we all need as we go through our daily lives. Rubbing shoulders with unbelievers. I ask that you would Make us salt and light as you've told us to be. I ask that you would give us grace in dealing with our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, and most of all, our fellow church members, our church family. Knit us together in truth and in love. Grow us in grace. I ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.